Welcome to Diary of a Crowdfunded Film, proudly in collaboration with Brick Studios. I'm Jose Pusella. Join me as I take you on this audio journey with Heath Davis on the making of his new crowdfunded film, Christmas. Welcome to this second installment of Diary of a Podcaster from Oz to NZ, celebrating individuals who celebrate national and international cinema via their podcasts, among other things. As always, I'm Jose, and unlike Captain Kirk, I don't recall the start date of my last log entry or haircut. In fact, I've come to suspect that lockdown will become the new flat top of 2021, and we just let our locks down. So you can cue the crickets. Last week, we kicked off this series with Matthew Eels of Cinema Australia. This week, we jet back to the east side of Australia into Sydney and chat with a dynamic duo who have garnered reputations as both film and TV critics and podcasters. The first member of this podcasting pair is known for his acumen as a film critic, being a member of both Film Critics Circle of Australia and the Australian Film Critics Association. His works have been published in Film Inc, Encore, Inside and Empire. Since early 2012, he's been the founder and editor-in-chief of Screenspace, fearless opinions about all things cinema. And that's the tagline from your site. And when he's not wearing his festival director hat for Monster Fest and the Sydney Science Fiction Festival, you can tune your dials into 2GB and catch him every Monday for a rundown on new release, both on the silver screen and the home screen. Hello, and thank you for joining me, Simon Foster. Jose, from the moment you said acumen, I had no idea what you were talking about. But thank you, <laughs> but thank you very much for having us on uh, on this terrific endeavor of yours. I'm really proud to be here. Oh, uh, look, I appreciate it. And making up the second creative component, purely based on the order in which I wrote this intro down, <laughs> is a well-known media, screen culture, and TV critic whose written contributions have been regularly featured on SBS online, along with his daily newsletter at his website, Always Be Watching. In addition to being a former Media Week deputy editor. He's also a passionate podcaster, producing such titles as Batman Land, Orville Land, and the Media Report podcast, just to name a few, as well as being beamed across the airwaves on Brizzy Radio 4BC and ABC Gold Coast. Hello, and welcome, Dan Barrett. Uh, good morning, or good afternoon, good evening, Jose. Now, you were talking about star dates a moment ago, and that got me curious to know what comprises of a star date exactly, because oh, I wasn't quite sure. I've got a lifelong viewership of Star Trek, but you know, I had no idea. So there's apparently the original format format of the star dates, and there's the revised ver- version of the star dates. And so to work out your star date, uh, you use the... Okay, so... A traditional star date in, say, for example, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, we yes. have a number like 46379.1. Now, the four represents the 24th century. So if we're working out our star date, it would be we're in the 21st century. So begin with number one. And then right. you've got the season that you're in. So I guess it's August. So let's say it's, we'll go by month. So I guess 108. And then we've got the thing, which is the number of days. So if we were going to work it out from our last potential haircuts, from the shutdown, what's that like? Forty-three days. So what, I'm going to go with that. Yeah. So we'll say it's start date one oh eight forty-three points, and it's eight o'clock at night. So point eight. So uh, there's our start date right there. I love it. Thank you so much. Yes, but can <laughs> you do the Kelso run? But can you do the Kelso run in less than twelve parsecs? That's what I want to know. Fifteen parsecs. It's disappointing. <laughs> Look, gentlemen, thank you so much for agreeing to be part of this. And look, and I really hope you don't enjoy or regret the decisions. The night is still young, so, you know, we'll see how it fares out. Sure. (laughs) I want to get some housekeeping out of the way like I normally do. So if you enjoyed our last episode as much as Matthew Eels enjoys a garlic butter pan seared porterhouse steak. I feel like I should have some kind of music that accompanies that. Then get your keyboards warmed up and head on over to our Facebook page or Twitter at Diary of Crowd F1 for a cookout and cornucopia of culinary chats. 
And please subscribe and reshare the episode so the momentum for this podcast and Heat's film Christmas continue during the production hiatus. So gentlemen, the launch of your respective personal online spaces, it's allowed you to have complete control of your discussions, opinions, and activities relating to film, TV, and really whatever personally interests you. Um, Simon, I just wanted to first ask, where did the evolution for uh, screen space first come about? Uh, it came about, I had been writing for SBS. I was one of the uh, first group of journalists who um, worked under Fiona Williams when SBS film was launched um, in the wake of David and Margaret leaving and they started to try to do have a much bigger online presence. Um, and I got some great work and did a lot of work for them, but I kept pitching ideas to them. They kept getting knocked back. So I thought what I need to do is find a space where I can... Um, uh, write about you know what I enjoy in the world of film and and write with um, my own voice and 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 that's where Screen Space came about. It allowed me to you know stay in touch with um, publicists and film distributors and companies like that when when the work wasn't forthcoming. Um, and that all came about uh, for many years before I'd been a, a a sales rep in the home video industry. Yes, kids, I'm that old. Um, so I had a, a history of being able to talk at length about film and sort of gab on about movies from, you know, my film buff days in high school and being, a, you know, a film going tragic for all those years. So the skill I got as a sales rep um, led into uh, writing, uh, which led into broadcasting. Um, and that's when I got started to get work with outfits like WSFM here in Sydney and ABC Radio and um, ABC FM currently as well. So I've always sort of had kind of the gift of the gab when it came to things that interest me the most. And I've always said I couldn't be a, back when I was a sales rep, I said I couldn't go from selling movies every day to selling washing machines or cars. And with all due respect to washing machine and car salesmen, it's just not something I could do. I was passionate about the product because I was talking about movies and that's what led to everything I guess I'm still doing with movies. Uh, um, I thought, Dan, I'd ask the same question, but for always be watching, um, I'm guessing there's a similar amalgamation of interests that led to that creation. Yeah, I guess my story probably goes back further than Simon. So while he was there peddling in the home video trade, <laughs> and what is home video exactly, Simon? Is that like Blockbuster and Stranger Things? Is that what you're yeah, talking that's about? What it, yeah, that's what it back we used. We came out of the caves, we crawled out of the ocean and formed legs, and then we were back in, we were straight into the home video industry. Okay, yeah, okay, that, that tracks for me. No, no, so my background probably begins back in about 2002, 2003. I was at the Brisbane Writers' Festival. I was an attendee there. I wasn't obviously on a panel or anything. Mm -hmm. I was a media studies student at the time. And I was just sitting there listening to a panel discussion that was, I, I can't even remember who it was. I want to say it was Brian Johns, who was one of the former um, heads of the ABC. And I can't remember who else was on the panel. But they were just talking about the rise of this exciting new format called blogging. It's pretty like, hold with me, kids. It's pretty exciting. It's a <laughs> brand new form of media here. But they were just basically saying that uh, anyone can start a blog now and just obvious things. But like in 2002, this is kind of a revelation to me. And I was someone who was getting very frustrated by, look, I lived in Brisbane as a one newspaper town, the Courier Mail. And I used to be very annoyed and frustrated by the film and TV coverage in that newspaper. And so that was just kind of reverberating in my head, thinking about how much I just really I won't use the language I want to use. Uh, just how frustrated I was by this newspaper experience. And then right. they started talking about blogging. So I'm like, well, I'll, I'll launch my own blog. So I created this blog called Televised Revolution. 
So I kicked that off and it was just blogging about TV. And I had ideas that I'd talk about, like sort of breaking news and try to sort of turn into like a magazine style thing. But at heart, I'm very, very lazy. So I never quite invested as much time and re- like energy into the blog as I probably should have. Little did I realize that if I had done that, I probably could have beaten websites in Australia like TV Tonight to their own game by a couple of years. But, you know, whatever. Uh, but basically, I was posting reviews. I was posting just general thoughts on the TV industry. At a certain point, I thought, what's this podcasting thing that I've kind of heard a few things about? So I got on board with podcasting really early. So I launched a televised revolution podcast. This is back in about 2005, 2006. So whenever podcasting was like right at its like nascent form, I was there creating this podcast. I convinced this guy that I worked with, Chris, that, hey, let's start this podcast. He thought I was crazy and he was probably right to think that. <laughs> But we started this podcast and we recorded probably about 10 or 11 episodes together. We migrated the podcast over to become a radio show through community radio in Brisbane for Triple Z. And I ran the podcast as a radio show for years and years, uh, probably stopped in about 2015, I think. And that coincided with me moving to Sydney. And we kept the podcast going for a little while. And once I'd hit Sydney, I was also working at Media Week. So there was a bit of a conflict of interest in running this podcast talking about the TV industry at the same time that I'm working for a magazine and contributing to two different Media Week podcasts about the TV industry. So like there were suddenly conflicts there, but the publisher, James Manning, didn't really mind too much. So I kept that running. Unfortunately, the end of my televised revolution dreams sort of hit a brick wall when I started working for Simon's wife, Fiona, over at SBS. And she said, oh, that podcast you're doing, you probably can't really do that while you're over here. And I knew I was on a good run at the time and I'd been doing it for, you know, about 10, 12 years by that point. And I thought this is probably just what I need to actually stop doing this. So I killed off the podcast, but I had this secret dream, which was that the day that I left SBS, I'd kick off a new podcast. I didn't kick mm-hmm. it off exactly the day, but I started the planning for it. And a few weeks after I'd left SBS, I started the Always Be Watching podcast to join in with the newsletter that I was running at the time. So the self-publishing kicked off once more. But yeah, so it's kind of been a constant stream of TV, online publishing and podcasting, just as a sort of background to just my nine to five jobs throughout my you know many years of media working now. And I should point out that... that um what Dan and I do now with our screen watching podcast, Dan is very much um, the the hands-on producer and technical sort of expert in the show. My background um, all those years talking on the radio prepared me to be able to, you know, talk into a mic and give me some sort of um, aspect of control over that side of how I present myself and how I talk. But um, Dan convinced me very early on that it's a very different world, the world of podcasting. Um, and I've had to adapt my delivery and how I present my information and the sort of conversations I was I was more comfortable having on the radio with in, in podcast form. And Dan's been invaluable in that regard. So I, I bring an element of knowledge about film and, and to a certain aspect TV. But Dan's very much the, the podcast guy in the, in the mix here. Yeah, because I guess podcasts really are quite different to presenting on the radio. So I've done Hmm. a fair bit of radio over the years as well. So at the moment, you can hear me on ABC Gold Coast and 4BC. But also I've done like a fair bit of Radio National over my years. So I was the TV critic on RN Breakfast for a couple of years with Fran Kelly uh, and various other radio things around the place as well. But I guess when you're on the radio talking about film or TV or whatever your subject matter is, you're talking to an audience who are listening to you is like part of a package of a number of different things they might hear across the course of an hour. So, you know, they might be hearing about world news affairs and then suddenly there's a TV segment 
And then straight after that, it'll go off to talking about um, what else is there in the world? Sorry, I thought about TV. Sport. There's suddenly... sport, Dan. Sport. You can't. We just come off the Olympics for yes, that's sake. right. Oh, I, I've heard of it. I've heard rumors. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they'll go off to sport, and then it's like a magazine-style experience on the radio. Yeah. But a podcast, you've got a dedicated audience who are there to hear a very specific subject matter, and if they're there to hear a specific subject matter, they're probably already bought into a certain amount of passion, and they're probably bringing with it a certain level of pre-enthusiasm and pre knowledge about the subject matter so with a podcast you can talk to people as though they're coming into it from an entry-level standpoint but you also need to provide I guess maybe a little bit more ground to say you know if you actually do know what we're talking about and chances are you probably know more than what we're actually aware of ourselves as we're trying to profess to be experts in whatever it is that we're discussing like you kind of need to provide space for all types of listeners but also just know that you do have more deadhead listeners than a radio experience provides the passion and the camaraderie that comes across between the two of you is, I think, one of the elements that makes listening to the podcast, screen watching, enjoyable. And I say that because the I remember the episode I listened to most recently, there was two. One, I had to listen to the Rennie Harlan episode because I think he's an absolute legend. So that was fantastic, Simon. And there was one where the two of you were actually calling in from Dan's house and I don't remember exactly which it was, but, and it may have happened more than once, just that what I do recall is a reference where you said, like all podcasters, I'm here with both my dogs at my feet as, uh, as they do it. So <laughs> are they with you today? Uh, my dogs are at the other end of the house at the moment because okay. it, it's dinner time. There's a couple of biscuits that has been given out to them. They're currently noshing some rawhide. So they're not really interested in me, but if that door was open, they would be by my feet by the end of the hour. Yeah, we should point out to our listeners that both Dan and I are dog people. Um, we think that cats are the demon spawn. Um, so we do, you know, if we lose any listeners over that, I'm okay with it. That's really unfair to demon spawn. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm, I've got no preference neither or way, um, but demon spawn all the way. Uh, look, Matthew Eels, he shared with me in my interview with him is this obsession that he has with um, Superman. And I wanted to know if there's a similar film that either of you have an obsession with and to the point where would you consider doing, you know, a kind of minute by minute breakdown a la Blake Howard for that film? Um, yeah. uh, yes, there, there are those sort of films. And, and uh, I loved what Blake did with the, the, um, the heat. One, yeah. With heat. One heat minute was, was incredible. And, I, and he was, he was, he was doing good fellas too, wasn't he? Or one of the other ones. I, he started on one. I can't remember now. Oh, no. Uh, he's all, done all Zodiac and... Uh... Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so he did all the President's Minutes was the podcast. That's, that's it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's terrific at what he does. My sort of knowledge and, and the, the the deep diving I sometimes go into on cinema on the podcast certainly lends itself to that. And I'd be happy to do something on, you know, there's the... There's the there's the films of my generation like Die Hard or The Breakfast Club or there's the films that sort of made me fall in love with movies like Star Wars and Close Encounters or there's the, the films that the more I learn about movies, the more I realise why they're so important, like the 2001s and the Citizen Kanes and the Lawrence of Arabia, stuff like that. So um, in terms of a minute-by-minute minute breakdown, I'm a little bit ashamed to say it may be Peter Sellers in The Party, which is my favourite comedy of all time. Um, there are elements of it that may not sort of hold up too well in the current sure. climate. Elements? 
Well, when I say elements, I mean about 75% of the film, but the point being that um, it is still a very funny movie and I'd love to it do is. a podcast on that. And you're probably more TV sort of leaning, I guess, Dan, but is there a movie that... That's right. Uh, there's a few. So I always joked, so when Star Wars Minute, which is the podcast that kicked off the Minute by Minute movie uh, podcasts, when that's kicked off, I always thought it'd be fun to do a news radio Minute by Minute podcast where you're doing every episode of news radio, but a minute at a time. But if I was going to, I think that'd hold up. But if I was going to do movies, so there's probably three films that I've actually actively thought about doing these minute by minute podcasts before. The nice. first one is probably one of my favorite movies of all time, The Untouchables. I think that yes. would hold up remarkably well to a minute by minute watch. And there's so many great set pieces and so much that happens within each of those set pieces. That I think it withstands the scrutiny of the minute by minute format. I saw, I saw that six times at the movies, The Untouchables. I wow. love that film. It's one of my all time favorites. See, I was a little bit too young to have seen it in the cinema. I grew up watching that as a VHS classic and then just through watching on Fox Hill time in and time out. But for some reason, The Untouchables, I never thought I'd get to see it on the cinema. But from that first time I got to see it in the cinema, I don't think there's been a six month period where I haven't had the opportunity to see it on the big screen since. It just keeps on appearing around the place. And my God, that film plays well on the big screen. Mm. Uh, but one of the other films I'd like to do is I think Point Break would be a very fun minute by minute podcast. There's so much great dialogue through that film that, you know, this uh, is there though. <laughs> Sorry, great dialogue. No, it's a fun movie. You can't get past that. But the film that if I was actually going to sit down and do the podcast and it wasn't just purely a passion project, mm. but really podcasting for profit would be my real consideration. The podcast I think is probably a gangbusters idea to do would be one based around Pretty Woman. Now, I haven't seen okay. Pretty Woman since I was a kid, but I really think there's an audience to just revel in the world of Pretty Woman, and I'd be more than willing to capitalize on that. For the value of nostalgia, you're thinking oh, that would be driving... No, for the value of making money from other people's nostalgia. <laughs> oh, even better. <laughs> That's the spirit, Dan. <laughs> That's what I'm all about. I've done podcasting for free for too long. I want to see some of the lucre come through. Yeah, no, there's... I get that. Look, I, I wanted to jump into some film festivals and just have a quick chat regarding Monster Fest and Sydney Science uh, Fiction Festival. The um, Look, how did that opportunity come about, Simon, for you to become director? Um, I, through my work with SBS and through my journalism work, I've made a lot of contacts with the film festival community um, and people like uh, Grant Hardy at Monster Fest and Tom Pappas at the Sci-Fi Film Festival, which is the other festival, um, they recognised that I could contribute in some meaningful way to the to the programming of the events and ultimately the running of events. So it, it sort of came about through a, a natural progression. I was with um, with SBS. I was fortunate to be able to travel to places like the Cannes Film Festival and um, pretty much every capital city festival here in Australia. Um, so I had a lot of on the ground film festival experience. And uh, when the sort of opportunity came up to uh, sort of maximize my love of genre films mm -hmm. of horror and of science fiction, um, it was very easy to sort of fall into a conversation with those guys about starting the festival up. So I've been with Monster Fest, I've been the festival director of the Sydney leg of Monster Fest now for a few years, four years, I think. Um, right. And prior to that, uh, I was the program director at Sci-Fi Film Festival for three years, but two years that ran and then last year, which was cancelled. And then out of that position, I, I sort of broke away and started up the, the Sydney Science Fiction Film Festival, which is coming up for its second edition in uh, November this year. I wanted to look at 
if you've had any challenges or maybe you're facing some current challenges with the uh, sci-fi festival coming up given this delta variant of covid Oh God. How, Get so comfortable, things... everyone. Well, this, is, this could go a while. Um, well, we launched at the end of the lockdown period last year, or the, or the sort of the, the loosening of the pandemic conditions last year. Um, I think we we uh, we're on at the Actors Centre Australia, which is a big sort of auditorium um, in the Italian Forum at Leichhardt here in Sydney, and yes, um, they've got this beautiful state of the art three hundred seat cinema. Um, the Night of Horror Film Festival went in there a couple of weeks before us, and then we came in early November last year, and we were sort of the first two festivals that started up again after the the um, lockdown period or the, or the pandemic conditions last year. So it was tough working at fifty percent capacity. We were very very fortunate that the that the venue was very kind to us uh, with regards to rates and um, the conditions that we could operate under. And they were a learning centre, so they were already sort of. Um, very bound by government conditions and they were very sort of familiar with all the rules and regulations that came with being in a, in a pandemic environment. So um, we didn't have to do too much learning there. They were able to handle, absorb that side of things for us. Um, we've been very fortunate that the international sector um, and the Australian sector, but certainly the international sector response to a, the launch of a capital city festival um, for science fiction and fantasy films here in Sydney the, the, the pickup was great. Um, last year with our first festival, we maxed out at 71 submissions via the, the online submission site. Um, with still three months to go uh, this year, we're at 143. So instantly we've had this sort of growth phase, which is which has completely taken me by surprise. And we've got submissions from like 30 different countries. So we've been, we, the pickup has been really strong and I've sort of tried to generate a, a really strong social media element, um, use my broadcasting skills and podcasting sort of network and, and creating my own sort of avenues of, of communication with other film festival directors around the world to um, establish ourselves alongside Berlin and alongside Boston and London and Miami, all of which have great science fiction film festivals so that to create this web so that the, the network of filmmakers know about us when those other festivals are spoken of as well. Um, so just sort of building from that ground level startup festival base um, has been the challenge. And I wish I could say I did it with some kind of master plan or some kind mm. of business acumen. There's that word. I'm going to start using that now. Um, <laughs> uh, acumen, but I don't have that. It's really been um, by the seat of my pants and with the help of a group of incredible people around me, the committee members, Travis Johnson and my wife, Fiona and Crystal and Virat and um, Anthony at the Actor Centre. So it's been this small group of people who've I've, whose passion for science fiction and for film festivals I've tapped into, which have, have really helped out. I like the way you are phrased, you know, by the seat of your pants, because there's no better place to have your pants in on the seat. So I'm glad that worked out. Very there. true, but, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry, because now I... I'm starting to vibe with what you guys are trying to do here. I'm enjoying this. Um, a serious question, though, because independent cinema, it's a great mirror for examining and opening discussions about um, social and political landscapes. So I wanted to know if you've noticed from the creatives and the submissions and the films that are going to be chosen, if there's been an artistic shift in the storytelling that's heavily featuring the impact, and I promise this will be the last COVID-related question, but it's so ingrained at the moment. So has there been a shift artistically that 
they're going down that path in their storytelling? Uh, to, enough to the extent that we will be uh, programming a, a strand of the festival called Pandemic Pictures, which specifically right. speak to both the like a perception of the world in, under pandemic conditions and under lockdown, um, and also films that overcame those limitations in their filming style, in their narrative style. So, so that is, that is certainly a very big part of the the, the submissions that I've got this year. Um, films with incredible imagination have sort of adapted to to um, the pandemic climate and and the conditions of of shooting during a pandemic. Um, science fiction and horror and fantasy have always been um amazing genres for for reflecting society and mm. and the, you know the example that anyone who knows anything about horror films or, or genre films uses are the the romero zombie films that you know yes. the first one was about vietnam and the next one was about consumerism and the next Resume, one was yes. about greed in the 80s so they they all sort of reflect the the sort of overwhelming social um conditions at the time uh, and that hasn't changed at all we've had some really smart uh, very incisive sort of commentary pieces come through that use incredible visuals and 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 um, very sort of complex narrative beats and storytelling elements to to, to comment on society not just the pandemic um, but also there's been a wave of films coming out of the um, uh, me too movement and the gender equality debates and and um, about the political situation in the US, there's been some really sort of fierce polemics from both sides um, of, of the political divide uh, in the form of science fiction um, and fantasy films. So yeah, that hasn't changed. And if anything, filmmakers have become even more revved up in recent years um, in, the, in the way they sort of confront these issues. Hey, Simon, can I ask a question? So if I was a up and coming filmmaker who was uh, really in this sort of stage of still submitting to film festivals and trying to get my name out there, one of the things I would be very sort of cognizant of is that there has been a bit of a shift towards online streamers and the potential for short films that have a little bit of buzz behind them to maybe become seen as possible pilots for ongoing TV shows, or at least inspire the idea of getting some money to turn it into a TV show. Have you noticed any changes in terms of the structure and the way that ideas, I guess, may be being presented in short films, where it's sort of shifting from being purely about the film, where you're sort of looking at things going, this kind of feels like it's more of a TV pilot presentation than it is a short film in itself? Um, the proof of concept short has always been a, a, a factor in, in when you program for festivals. Um, Look, I'll be completely blunt. There's nothing more frustrating about watching a short film until you realise about halfway through that, okay, this isn't going to win. This isn't a self-contained story. This is clearly a, a kind of a pitch session for a, a bigger project. Um, in answer to your question, uh, no, I haven't seen any significant change in the number of those sort of films that are coming through. Um, and if there is an element of the filmmaking community that thinks there's a new avenue or a new pathway to go down in, in, to, the, to the Netflixes or the Amazons of this world, um, that hasn't immediately sort of shown itself in, in the, the science fiction realm. In the horror realm, um, with the emergence of the Shutter platform, um, mm -hmm that's playing a huge part in f horror film festivals around the world, and particularly the second and third tier of distribution in horror films. Um, uh, I know my friends at A Night of Horror 
um, have had terrible problems with films that they were interested in a few months out from the festival, then announcing that they've already been secured by Shutter out of the, the latest horror festival in Canada or London or whatever. So um, there, and there isn't really, I'm not really up against that fingers crossed yet for um, in the science fiction realm, but, um, and I think, yeah, I think further down the track that will start to emerge that um, the windows for Netflix and Amazon premieres will close. Um, and whereas I sort of set the dates for this festival back in January um, and started to acquire films, I'm, I'm always asking now is there's not going to be any online premiere, it's not going to Netflix, you know, in a few months' time. And there's whatever contracts I sign with the filmmakers, there's always a caveat saying, well, everything's null and void if suddenly you turn up on, on Netflix six weeks before the festival. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. Look, the the final question that I had, and I am going to get to you, um, Dan, because I have some podcasting questions that I really want to look into. Um, that, that's good because I stopped paying attention because Simon's talking. <laughs> Frankly, I stopped paying attention about halfway through as well. So. <laughs> no, and I, it, I just really wanted to know if there's a particular film that uh, that you have looked into that you're kind of going, yes, look, I'm really looking forward to seeing this one in the festival or one that you think, uh, look, me, I'll leave it at that, one that you are looking forward to seeing. At my festival coming up? Yes, that's been screened, yeah, for the audience to view. Uh, I can give you an exclusive. We haven't announced this anywhere yet. We probably won't be for a little while, but we have a 4K restoration of the classic Australian film Plain Beatty Bow, a time travel story based on the Ruth Park novel that was very popular back in the day and in conjunction with Umbrella Entertainment who were putting out the, the 4K restoration disc, I think around Christmas time, um, we'll be staging that. So I am looking forward to seeing that. I haven't seen that in 40 odd years. So I'm keen to see that on, on our big screen. Thank you so much for that. I remember seeing that in high school um now i don't exactly know where it fit in but the i love that film but the creep factor in that movie is quite impressive <laughs> i look i gotta be honest with you i haven't seen it since i think it's was 85 it came out so what's 86 so it's its 35th anniversary or something so that's um, brilliant I'm, I'm very excited about seeing especially about seeing what the master's at Umbrella, who are just so great with their restorations, do with the the print, which they'll be scrubbing each frame, they'll be cleaning it, um, you know, with a fine tooth comb or wherever they restore old prints. So yeah, I'm very excited about that. It'll look glorious. Dan, you were the co-creator and producer um, of the Handmaid's Tale podcast, um, Eyes and Gilead. Now, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, because as you can tell, I, I watched that all the way. Um, <laughs> so you can correct me on the pronunciation. Um, but it did win um, bronze in the 2020 Australian Podcast Awards for Best Arts and Culture Podcast, as well as uh, Best Fancast Award in 2019 for the Australian Podcast. So fantastic result, mate. Congratulations on that. Yeah, so I mean, credit where it's due. Basically, I wasn't there for that second award, but I certainly participated in the first season of that podcast. So, you know, I'll claim that. And I was on stage and got to see the ladies of Eyes on Gilead or, you know, definitely get their dues on, on stage. So that was all very cool. Uh, basically, I guess the one thing that I always warn people who are consuming media, warning, this sounds so dodgy. <laughs> the, the one thing that I also warn people is that if you're watching something, 
Okay, so let me just backtrack a little bit. Uh, this morning, I okay, so I published this newsletter could always be watching. Yes. And the newsletter, you can sign up for it, alwaysbewatching.com. It's a weekly, uh, it was a daily newsletter that talks about the latest news and screen culture effectively. But there was a story that was uh, came to my attention this morning and it was Russell T Davies, who's the guy that used to make Queer as Folk and he had a lot of success with the series this year called It's a Sin. And he was running Doctor Who for a couple of years. He's a very outspoken guy uh, gay TV writer. He's very passionate about LGBTQI issues. And he was talking about the rise of streaming platforms these days who were very openly saying about how much they want to support LGBTQI themes. So you may have noticed there was a TV show Loki recently where the lovable trickster rogue that we've been watching through all the Marvel films, Mm -hmm. it was suddenly revealed that he was bisexual. And the series itself kind of gives lip service to the idea of it, but doesn't actually explore that as a deep theme. So one of the things I've warned people in my newsletter is that beware of these large companies that are out there that are purporting to be on the cutting edge of being progressive and doing the right thing for their audience because everyone always has an agenda. And the agenda of the streamers who are saying, oh, you know, we're very welcoming of all and look at us sort of pushing these themes, like their agenda is really quite different to yours where you might say, hey, look, I actually want to see these themes explored and actually get some real substantive conversations around issues like that. But if you're Disney, for example, it's really beneficial to have a character say, I'm bisexual, and then spend the next two episodes with him in a love relationship with the woman that he's telling this, Hmm. that he's bisexual to. Uh, Because you don't want to upset middle America and some countries that may not necessarily be on board with that kind of thing. Like Disney's agenda is different to people who actually really care about these as themes. So getting back to what you're actually talking about with this podcast, which is that there's this great podcast, if you're a big fan of The Handmaid's Tale, uh, when I was at SBS, myself and the aforementioned Fiona Williams, the two of us created this podcast called Eyes on Gilead. And it's a weekly debrief for people to come along and listen to what's gone on in The Handmaid's Tale each week. And it's a week-by-week exploration into the show. Now, while that's all very good and well, what people listening to it probably don't quite realize is that the podcast is content marketing. So like, it's, it's a very soft push for content marketing. We were trying to create the best possible show that we could for audiences to enjoy it. But at the same time, if you're listening to it, you'll also hear conversations about SBS. You'll hear conversations about when the show is being broadcast. It's really about attaching the SBS name to this international show that that acquired. Because The Handmaid's Tale isn't of SBS. It's just the show that they purchased for SBS. Mm -hmm. So what we needed to do was just get the word out there that The Handmaid's Tale is on SBS and not to pirate the show, which was a big concern when we launched this podcast back in 2017, 18. I don't know. I've got no idea of time anymore. COVID life has really just destroyed me. Uh, So the idea was just to get the messaging out saying, hey, look, Handmaid's Tale, it's an SBS show here. Watch it. Don't subscribe to like the overseas Hulu and use your credit card through nefarious ways to get access to that service. You can actually get it day and date here. We're doing the right thing by you. And it was really just getting that messaging out there. Thankfully, because of the quality of the podcast itself, it has managed to generate a very large listenership now. There's awards coming through for it because it is a legitimately very well-produced, very Mm. good podcast. But at the same time, it is also advertising for The Handmaid's Tale on SBS. And you should never really quite get away from that. So I guess what I wanted to come to here is just saying that podcasts exist for all sorts of reasons and even the best intentioned ones. Like, listen to who's making it. So myself and Simon produce this podcast, Screen Watching, 
neither of us are making any money. In fact, I think I've lost several hundred dollars making it. And I also made sure spend, of that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and also I have to spend an hour each week talking to Simon. So we're all taking a massive loss on this thing. Um, but ultimately, when you listen to our podcast, you'll hear that these are honest thoughts and honest reviews yes. and opinions. And it's certainly not bothered by anything else because it is a pure independent enterprise. And much like this podcast here, like, I mean, you did pay us $50 each to, you know, get, no, that's not true. What? No, money. no what? I, I, I post dated $50? Those. <laughs> the check's in the mail, I guarantee you. Oh, it's a, you've got a check account. That fills me full of wonder and hope, yeah. But I think this is an independent podcast. And like, I think it's really great. Very independent. This kind of thing, because like, you're probably not going to get more than the 30,000 listeners we get on every screen. Oh, of course. No. <laughs> ultimately this is about the passion for it it's about coming together and making something together and playing around with honest thoughts and building community around these things there's all sorts of fun things you can do with podcasting and you can do some nefarious things like advertise high quality drama series to an sbs audience i love it that's the gamut has been covered beautifully there (laughs) (laughs) but i have to ask because what was it exactly that well what do you feel that the podcasting medium can be so powerful, you know, in the context of audio that influences people? I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why it does, but one of the things that's really particularly unique to podcasting is that most podcasts are listened to with people with earbuds in and uh, isolated from whatever world that they're in while they're listening to the podcast. And so what that does is it's a different relationship than people listening to radio. So a lot of radio is consumed in the car. Okay, so it's often people, and look at people driving around, it's pretty rare you see more than one person sitting in a car. Mm. But they're listening to it with audio surrounding themselves in the entire car. And it's not necessarily a personal experience. It's personal-ish, but it's not necessarily a deeply personal thing. Like they're not strictly in your ears in the way that a podcast is. So I think that you get people listening to a podcast who have such great intimacy that they experience through the experience the experience of the experience uh so such intimacy that they develop while listening to a podcast and it's so unique that you know what else do you listen to with headphones on you listen to music generally and music you'd have a personal experience with but it's not necessarily an intimate experience in the way that hearing simon's delicious voice coming to my ears every friday morning when i check through the podcast like that's a really unique experience that listening in a car isn't really the same thing because you may have someone else in the car with you so you've got a shared experience and that's something entirely different. But podcasts, I don't know how many people listen to podcasts with other people in a room. That's got to be pretty rare, surely. Due to file size upload restrictions on ACAST being limited to 150 MB, and with this episode clocking in at 163 MB, I've had to split this like a Kit Kat. So take a break, listeners. Top up your drinks, refill your snack bowls, then jump back onto your designated podcatcher and download part two of this interview with Simon Foster and Dan Barrett of the Screen Watching Podcast.